2: From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fossy to Alvin Ellie from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally.
1: This is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. A comedian and writer, Leo Reich's comedy show, Literally Who Cares?, is currently playing at Greenwich House Theatre, with sold-out runs at both Edinburgh Fringe and London Soho Theatre. The show has been called... Bighty and brilliantly funny, and is a New York Times critics pick. Welcome, Leo. <laughs> so-
2: Thank you so much. That's so nice. I that those are always my favorite bit, just to hear my credits and be like, wow.
1: And I could go <laughs> on and on and on. Can you take me to when you learned from these very fancy producers who show at Edinburgh? Mm-hmm. That they wanted to bring your show to New York, your beautiful show to New York.
2: Yeah, it's so weird because it's so not a thing. That's so not um when you're at the Edinburgh Fringe, which is this very like it's amazing, massive arts festival, but very like ramshackle kind of um down and dirty, uh sort of low-key festival where everyone performs in like the tiniest, smelliest room you've ever could ever even imagine. Um, And I did this extra show near the end of the run and I walked out into the Pleasance Courtyard, which if you know Edinburgh, you know, is like constantly packed with like the drunkest people you've ever seen. Um, And these two Americans come up to me kind of like cartoons and go, hey, kid, we love the show. Uh, We want to take you off Broadway. What do you think? And I was like, this is some kind of insane joke. Like what what, these people are doing character comedy to me. (laughs) Uh, it was too, it was too on the nose to take seriously. And also I'd just done a show. So I was like, Oh, thanks. That's so nice. I don't believe you. Um, but it was real and yeah. And then it sort of like snowballed off can of you, there.
1: For people who might let know who these two people are, <laughs> can you say who they are? <laughs>
2: no, it's, um, it's Kevin, Kevin McCollum who, and, um, Lucas McMahon, which they both work for Alchemation, which is a Broadway uh, production company. Um, I think the reason they came to do the, they came to the show in the first place is because they produced Six on Broadway. And um, the co-writer of Six, Toby Marlowe, is one of my oldest, closest friends. And we went to university together. and Toby wrote a bit of music for the show so I think that's probably how they originally ended up coming yeah they were I mean and it had never been on the agenda to try and get it to New York really because that's not it's just not something that you think about when you're at the um, Edinburgh Fringe Festival Scotland but it just became this it it sort of snowballed yeah.
1: I mean these are two theatre legends you know with Rent and I mean these are yeah. Incredible, and I—I I heard that you were just the toast of the festival. <laughs> yeah,
2: like... so weird. It's so it's it, it's such a weird, th- um, like the the it's such a specific atmosphere at the Edinburgh Fringe where yeah. you know, kind of two weeks in, for whatever reason, like four or five people are just sort of picked and the rest of the run salt sells out and it's all very easy for them. And I felt so lucky, but also so, so awkward and bad that it, cause it's, I mean, apart from anything it is just luck on some level of having like a nice review come out very early. And some, some people get nice reviews, but they're on like the last day of the festival and it's just like, Oh God, this isn't helping anyone. But, um, but yeah, it, it just happened that the, the stars aligned for me this, the last year.
1: What was the what's the joy of doing the show in New York
2: for you? Oh, I mean, so many, so many joys. Part part of it when it, before I came out, I was like, well, look, even if the show goes th- as as badly as you could possibly imagine, I'm still getting to live in New York for a month, and that's a dream. Like it's such a dream to to for some someone to fly you out to New York and put you up in an apartment. It's like this doesn't happen to people. So I've loved it on that level. Um doing it off Broadway in a proper theater has been lovely. Like I, I'm very used to doing it in uh a, in Edinburgh, it was in a porter cabin with like wafer-thin walls that everyone thought was a toilet. So it's a big step up. Uh and also because I mean New York is like the home, the birthplace and the home of stand-up comedy, and and to be doing my show here just feels like the most incredible thing ever. And all of the I mean, I mean, a huge percentage of the comics that really inspire me and that have directly influenced this show are New York comics or like US comics. And to be suddenly like in um, in the same city as them and in the same scene as them is uh, simultaneously incredibly daunting and very scary, but also really cool. Oh,
1: I love your show. I love your sense of fearlessness. I love how you expose yourself I mean, not, I mean, figuratively, not, in every which way. I want to talk about your lightning strikes moments when you knew you had to be an artist. When you knew this was your path.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's so. Hard. I was thinking about this because obviously, I, I was trying to be. I was trying to pinpoint those moments, and it's so hard to to think of like those like actual turning points because it I feel like on some level it's such a um slow burn series of coincidences that mean apart from anything that you're able to do it like there's so much that has to fall into place um on like a sort of material structural level to even have the time and space to be like oh maybe I'll sit down at my desk for three days straight and write something um but I think a lot of it was I became like a a massive comedy fan when I was like twelve because I saw um, a British comedian called Simon Amstell uh, did a stand-up show called Do Nothing, um, which was this like total uh, like epiphany moment for me of like oh my god, like I could be funny um, because he was this like all, at the time I was like the most introverted awkward uh like anxious little boy and simon's comedy is all about kind of social anxiety and um the the simultaneous like social anxiety and egotism and sort of uh narcissism of thinking you're simultaneously worse and better than everyone (laughs) and that was as a teenager that was so um amazing to me to hear someone on stage talking about this stuff in a packed room of people laughing and this guy was like famous and people loved him and the reviews are incredible and I was like wait people like this stuff um and so that was just such like a I guess even on like a personal level just sort of validating about my own personality but then also on a kind of uh more like mercenary level I was like oh I could do this and people might like it so that was a really amazing moment. And I, I really, I, I remember sitting at my kitchen table, just crying, laughing, watching the the YouTube video of this show. Uh, and that kind of like just started the whole comedy journey for me. Cause before then, I'd not really liked stand up. I'd watched it on TV, like kind of arena comics um, that you see on like Saturday night television um, in the UK. And I'd been like, I don't really care about this. A lot of people talking about like, my wife is so annoying. And I'm like, I don't care for that. Um, But this one show made me think, oh, maybe there's like a a sort of niche of comedy that I could really like get into and could really speak to me. And out of that, I started going to so many like comedy shows, comedy clubs, searching stuff out online. So that was really I mean, I must have been 12 or or 13, but that was like a real watershed for me.
1: So you were 12 and 13. You were living in London, right? At the time. Yeah. And. And here you're you're going to comedy clubs as a kit for inspiration, and were you? Yeah, uh, that,
2: that, I guess that was another kind of a lightning strike moment. Was going for uh, so I, I I sort of looked around a bit for comedy stuff to go to. I went to a couple places that felt a bit weird or like a bit kind of middle aged or a bit like straight, um, and then I found this place called the Invisible Dot, which was a comedy club that that no longer exists, but was in Kings Cross in London which is really close to where I live. And it's this tiny like little box room that seats about 70 people. And they would put on these incredible alternative comedy shows. Um, People like young comedians doing a full hour of comedy or like mixed bill shows where like a bunch of random people do 10 minutes. And it was always like the most like experimental, crazy, um, like character people wearing wigs, people wearing costumes, and then suddenly someone doing quite normal stand-up, just a real like mix of stuff. Um, and I would sit there like with my like eyes wide, jaw on the floor, couldn't believe what I was seeing. And that was like amazing to me because th- these people getting up on stage to audiences of genuinely 20 people and just kind of, <laughs> I mean, on some <laughs> level, kind of humiliating themselves for laughter, but also doing something that I felt was so like, brave and freeing and, um, and not confined by, um, certainly like, rules or expectations about what you should do as a comedian on stage. And that I, I, I spent maybe three or four years just going to that comedy club, like sometimes four times a week, um, often by myself to just sit there and be like, this is so joyous.
1: That's so fantastic that you gave yourself that kind of master class. You know, it was such a kid. and do you remember some of the first material you did in front of an, of an audience when you got up? On I stage? did.
2: I didn't. I um. I never performed comedy until I was eighteen. Um. I wrote a. I when I was at school. I mean, another big uh, kind of moment was um deciding at school that I was gonna me and my me and my best friend Adam at the time were were kind of bored and I I think felt a little bit socially isolated and a little bit um, irritated at the whole sort of vibe at my all boys private school in the middle of London, um, which was quite stuffy and restrictive. Uh, And so we wrote wrote a play. We wrote a sort of one hour comedy play. um, That was just, I mean, in retrospect, I have no idea why they let us put it on. Just viscerally... Uh, like satirized the school that we were at. It was about the school that we were at and about the kind of like venal, narcissistic, overprivileged kids and teachers at the school. And this drama teacher, Miss Dobson, shout out if she ever listens to this, um, she's amazing. She was just like, oh yeah, we'll put this on. We'll put this on and we'll take it to the Edinburgh Fringe. So that was the first time I, I took a show to the Edinburgh Fringe with this play I wrote at school um, and we took it for just a week and it weirdly got like really good reviews and we had an amazing time and I was like I think that was a moment of like oh I think sometimes um it can be easy to get into the headspace of oh there's there's me doing my stuff am I'm, I'm an amateur I don't know what I'm doing and then there are professionals doing their stuff and that's a completely different thing and I think that moment of like taking this show to the edinburgh fringe and really just out of luck um getting a couple of reviews in like actual proper like there was a review in the scotsman which is like a big national newspaper in in scotland which was totally by chance really that the reviewer came but it just made us go oh my god we can do like this is it's it's sort of um punching at the same level as this other stuff at the festival the, the adults are doing. And at the time we were 17 and we were like, well, it's not that hard then, because we've done it and we're idiots. <laughs> um, I think that was a great, like, sort of, again, like a really validating moment to be like, oh, okay, so kind of, you, you can, if you just try really hard, you can just do this.
1: So were you at Cambridge when you started doing comedy?
2: I was, yeah. That's the reason I wanted to go there is because it it has a, uh, famously or in the UK, I think people would say infamously, um, good comedy scene. Um, there's a lot of like history of like the people who went and they went on to be Stephen Fry or whatever. It's like a bit very inbuilt into the fabric of that place. Um, so that's why I wanted to go. And then as soon as I got there, I was like, right, I only have three years. I'm going to just dive straight in and started doing comedy, um, in my first term and immediately had the best time ever. And I thought it was like the most amazing thing ever. I loved it.
0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple mm, Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW room void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I love that
1: because you were a member of the Footlights, right? That very, mm-hmm. the very famous troupe. Um, and what was that like? Yeah, it was great. It.
2: I mean, it's the most insane thing ever. The The, the whole university is totally nuts. And the uh, the level of kind of <laughs> unearned privilege that each individual student gets sort of handed to them as soon as they arrive is crazy um but once I was there I was just like that they, this whole kind of infrastructure exists it has a lot of kind of uh inherited wealth backing it up and although you know maybe that isn't I mean it definitely isn't a good thing on a sort of, uh, structural, uh, political level. I'm here now. And I, I, I just was like, I'm going to do it because it's so just day to day, the opportunities were crazy. Like you could do, you could do two or three, um, comedy shows a week as a student, which is just like not possible anywhere else. Um, it's like an, an, unreal level of opportunity, like sold out comedy shows three times a week because people would just come, um, based off, based off saying it was the footlights. Um, so that was, um, it was amazing. And, and there was some, re- I mean, it was really funny on some level because, because of the kind of, uh, fame and history of that group, you get these 18 year olds, um, taking it really seriously. Uh, and and being nowhere near good enough to take it even slightly seriously. So the, the kind of um, the intensity of it compared to the quality of the material, there's like a massive gap. And that's, mm. his, I, even at the time, I think I, I found it hysterical, but looking back, it's so funny. The kind of like high-minded conversations we'd have in the dressing room being like, well, no, this, this style of joke needs to reference that thing. And then you get on stage and perform truly the worst sketch ever. Um, to almost silence and I love that kind of thing that, that's that's the like real sweet spot like comedy wise is uh people like very stupid people taking themselves incredibly seriously <laughs> it's so funny it's
1: funny well what I love what's genius about your your comedy that you is that you make these pivots and you take us to these roads and then like to these corners and you're like oh not really. And how you keep, you know, your delivery is so brilliant. And I thought, what was your early comedy about? And how did you get that skill to... Oh,
2: thanks. that's so nice. Um, I I don't know. I mean, my early comedy was really, I mean, it was very directly inspired by Simon Amstel, the, the yeah. guy I was talking about earlier. So it was much more confessional, real stuff that's happened to me. Um, like anecdotes, much more sort of traditional, I guess, than, than the stuff I'm doing now. Um, and much more kind of, um, I guess, tapping into the kind of my, my more anxious, uh, neurotic side rather than my kind of, uh, <laughs> insane narcissistic side, which is, I think, much what what I, what I do at the moment. Um, and I, I kind of did this kind of sweet, nervous energy stand up uh which which was fun and i liked it and but it, i think it, uh, eventually i got to the point where i i i it just felt quite false i guess on some level to even on the level of like i'm getting on stage and telling this telling these stories and then sort of slightly acting as if i'm very shy uh and it just i couldn't keep up the kind of um the, the distance between what what I was saying I was like, you know, being sort of anxious and shy and weird or whatever, and then what I was doing, which was getting on stage night after night, performing to a bunch of people I didn't know in a very confident way. Um, so I guess I thought I, I, at a certain point, I just started being like, let's get real for a second. Um, I'm not that shy, clearly. There's clearly, a, there's clearly other stuff going on here uh, and trying to tap into that. And I guess that's what, I'm, I mean, that's kind of the the roots of what I do at the moment is like tr- trying to <laughs> trying to get grips with what part of someone's personality um, like has gone wrong so that they feel that they need to get on stage and perform to people. And it's sort of like an analysis of that, I guess, on some level. But funny, I should say. That makes it sound so dry. It's, it's also funny.
1: It's so funny. And uh, dare I ask, would you say that that person on stage is you is it so or is it a persona or a piece of you or is that
2: private? Yeah, it, this is an interesting it's it's yes i would i mean i it's not a character show it's not like a play oh. um it's my name in the title it is me uh it's like a, it's like me on my, it's what I fear that I am, I guess, uh, more than necessary. I, I, I hope when people meet me, they're not like, oh my god, it's like seamless. The, the, <laughs> you're exactly the same as what you are on stage. Um, so you know, there's a bit of heightening and a bit of, um, uh, yeah, a, a bit less self-awareness. I hope on stage, um, but it's all coming from real feelings. I think that that, or I hope that every individual joke comes from a kind of uh deep-rooted uh anxiety or feeling or hope or whatever um and and those and a lot of the the comedy i think that i do now trades on this kind of like simultaneous um kind of sincerity and earnestness and a like massive irony and nihilism and i think most of the like i mean if you boil down the kind of comedy it's like Trying to combine those two things in one line is usually my 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 joke structure, um, because that's how I. Th- but that's because that's how I feel as a person. You know, I feel like simultaneously so romantic and hopeful, but also so like desperate and uh, pessimistic. And so the the real show is just trying to square those two things, I guess.
1: And it's this marriage of all these delicious things, like dealing with you know, say, okay, I'm in my twenties and you know, but what, what do I really know? But I really know a lot and, you know, and I've been through a pandemic, but it's really not as bad as people who have been through the hol- yeah, the way yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you know, these pivots that you make, and then you read from your memoir. What's the title of your memoir? <laughs> so uh,
2: the memoirs funny. called slay. Uh, the, 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 that's the, one of the things that's new for the, the New York run is that the like, covers of those books, which I really love. Um, but yeah, that <laughs> I mean, they're nuts. The, the funny thing is like <laughs> those memoir bits are, are stuff that I used to perform as like just straight up stand standup. Um, and I think that, yeah, I was gonna do a show in 2020 that was like much more like anecdotal and, and um, traditional. Uh-huh. And it was all kind of like self-pitying kind of this is my story uh isn't life hard for me as a queer person and as a young person right now and uh the what the show ended up being is I guess kind of a parody of the person who would want to perform a self-pitying stand-up show um Mm. and those that stuff in those memoirs I've had to put in in that kind of framing device so that it's not like the most embarrassing self-involved thing of all time you know and it's it's slightly self-aware about the fact that That obviously my my problems are minuscule compared to almost everyone else in the history of humanity.
1: And at the same time, it's very relatable. Yeah, your your insecurity and and your sense of self worth and grappling with that. And how has it been like for your family? Because I know your dad is a wonderful producer.
2: That's true. (laughs) Um, yeah, they're, 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 they're so unbelievably sportive. It's crazy. Um, I think that my dad has probably seen the show more times than the director. It's, uh, it's, he comes all the time. My whole family come all the time and they're, they're Uh so nice. Sometimes, uh, they know the thing that I hate most is when they like repeat lines from the show out of context. So they'll do that a lot. I think they could probably all perform it off by heart at this stage um and it's also funny because now when they see it because they've seen it so many times they'll only laugh like they'll only like properly laugh because they know all the jokes when like i i mess something up um or i or i do like a face that i haven't done before and so like often if they're in the crowd you'll know they're there because in a in a bit of total silence they'll laugh um <laughs> because i've done something weird uh but yeah they're super supportive it's it's obviously like a weird thing i think um to see your sibling or son do uh, but i think that's another useful thing about it be i have a sort of get out of jail free card now about with this kind of like heightened persona um, that i'm doing uh, where if it ever gets too awkward i think that that they have the kind of escape route of going well that's not really him it's not really him it's a character it's not him you know um which is which is good i think for everyone's mental health but like my, my grandparents have seen it. My cousins have oh, seen it. Like it's, it's all, it, everyone's seen it. In New York? <laughs> not in New York, uh, <laughs> in, in London, <laughs> in London. Uh, but, but my family came, my, my parents and my, my brother and sister came to New York for the first week, which was really great.
1: It's so, fin- what do you like to do when you're not working, especially in New York?
2: Oh, anything. I, uh i i don't know uh what do i like to do that's such a this is such a um it's so telling that i've sort of forgotten who i am while i'm doing this run of shows uh i love to eat i love to drink a martini i love to um pretend i'm reading a book in a public place (laughs) i love i'm a big just consumer of uh content as well like i'm I'm i'll watch every tv show i go to the cinema the whole time um, I'm always watching something, uh, even if it's like the worst thing in the world, I will watch every episode. Um, so that's, that's really what I do. Like, um, and then sort of hang out with my, I mean, when my, uh, most of my friends have gone now, but when my friends were up, um, at the beginning of the month or beginning of the month of shows in mid-February, um, it was a lot of going to musical theater bars and, Staying out really late, singing, you know, that kind of uh, just getting quite drunk and screaming. That's, you know, it's the the British way of life.
1: (laughs) And what are you binging? You said you binge lots of stuff. You binge watch.
2: Yeah, I think there's something about being in New York. I was just I just rewatched the entire first series of Sex in the City. Of course, (laughs) you've got to do it. Um, I started there's there's still stuff that like I'm like, how have I not seen that? Like I started the show Rami uh, a couple of days okay. ago, which is so good. But I think I think the problem is it's not available in the UK, maybe, and that's maybe why I haven't seen it. But it's so good, and I'm like, I'll, I'll I'm, I'm gonna tear through that. I'm I'm midway through season two. I started it maybe four days ago, so that kind of stuff. What else am I watching at the moment? I'll go, I'm going back and watching a lot of kind of New York-y stuff. I think because I'm just in the mindset. So I. I Watched Francis Haar again the other day. Um, I'm always, I'm always at some point through a, a rewatch of Girls. Or any moment in my life, you can catch me. I'll be on. I'll I'll be somewhere through it. Um, on on a cycle. Uh, but yeah, that I mean, that's enough to be getting on with, really. Yeah. But, um, but Rami is the big one that I've yeah. started watching recently.
1: And also, you're writing for TV yourself, right?
2: Yeah, in that's theory. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's the the weird i mean that's that's uh as much as it's crazy to say doing all of these shows the whole time that's absolutely where i feel most comfortable is writing stuff I, i i the 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 objective with this show originally although it's sort of got blown wildly out of proportion now um was as a showcase for me as a writer more than anything i like i really that's that's the dream that was always the dream is to to write for tv or like write movies um and and much less so to be in them uh, so i i'm i'm very uh thrilled and lucky that that weirdly it's this show i think that has that has got me in the room with people being like oh i can write this i can write this um yeah
1: yeah so where do you see yourself you know, in a couple i mean do you want to so do you want to keep writing for other people, writing for your, doing more of your own shows? Or is it hard I, to I
2: say? I would, I, I think the dream for me would be to sort of keep balancing the plates as long as possible and keep doing everything. Like I I've loved doing this, this live show. I'd love to carry on doing live shows. Um, I think the, the system in, in the UK, which people do, is go to Edinburgh every year uh, with a new show, which I think is insane and I won't be able to do that, but to to kind of dip in to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival every now and then would be the dream with a new hour of stuff and hopefully a very different new hour of stuff. I think another nice thing about like doing a kind of more heightened persona-led stand-up show is that it you can very easily just switch up the persona because it's not like totally you. Um, so I'm hopefully going to do something a little different next time. Um, and then, yeah, and just carry on writing for other people. I love doing that. Uh, I wrote a couple of episodes for a TV show that I think comes out this year, um, recently, and that was really fun to like, just, just sort of let your mind be taken over by someone else's voice for once in my goddamn life. What um, show was it's, that? Oh. It's called Entitled. Um, and it should, I, I actually don't know if there's a release date yet, but it's sometime this year, I think. Uh, and it's uh it'll be on Showtime here uh Channel 4 in the UK um and it's like a fun show about uh an american Brett Gelman who's in Stranger Things and was in Fleabag as well he's uh he's stars in this show and it's um about an american who unbeknownst to him inherits a english kind of aristocratic country estate and so he flies over and it's a sort of like culture clash kind of vibe um but also with a weird supernatural mystery there's a lot going on um, but it was really fun. Uh, but I think also like, hopefully, I mean, the dream as everyone's dream is, is to, you know, have my own show and, and hire my own room, room of writers and like create something. Uh, but you know, that's a, it feels like a, a, a long-term plan, but, but, you know, we're getting there.
1: But hell you have your own one hour show off Broadway. So any, I know,
2: it's, I know, really crazy. Just-
1: that's a critic's pick. And what, what was your process, you know, in creating this show? Because here you have an hour, over an hour of phenomenal yeah, material and songs. That's, yeah. so
2: long, that's actually so long to be on stage for. It's crazy. Um, at the end of the hour, every day, I'm like, that's so much of these people's lives that they've just wasted watching me um and the 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 process was uh I don't know the process was it was a pandemic process I guess because I was locked in my childhood bedroom and that obviously came with its own kind of psychological um baggage and I think there was uh you know like I said I was going to do a show in 2020 it was going to be a more sort of anecdotal kind of storytelling hour and then I just sort of went as soon as I was locked in my room for a bit I was like why on earth would I do something sort of low key and uh storytelling-y and kind of anonymous on some level because that's what a lot of people do at the the fringe especially is like do an hour of stand-up storytelling and i was like that's not really what i like watching it's not like what i what i ideally would want to do and suddenly i had all of this free time to be able to actually make a go of creating a show that had a bit um a bit more ambition i guess uh like structurally and artistically and and go, what about if there were songs in it? And what about if I wore this and did that and said this stuff? And um, I think that space just, uh, not to sort of praise the pandemic too much, um, obviously, because uh, it was the worst thing ever, but um, on the slight silver lining is that I had a bit more space and time to be like, wait, what do I really want to do here? And who is it for? I think that that, that was a massive thing as well, just being like, just 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 getting um tired and giving up on the idea that that everyone needed to like it, uh, which can be so uh, suffocating as a intention. I think the just the, the, the just the best decision I made was to be like, not everyone's gonna like this and that's fine. Um, maybe even it's only 10% of people who like it. maybe it's less uh, but to decide that, I think because I was re-watching all the stuff that I really loved and going, This was made for maybe like 10 people, but those 10 people love it. Um, And that's always the stuff that I like the most. And I think uh, to have the intention of um, making it not necessarily the most popular show in the world, but for the people who like it, their favorite show um, was was a a real sort of gear shift for me.
1: Is it hard to put into words? how this experience has changed you you're doing the show in new york doing it
2: yeah i mean it's i and i feel like you never know until it's like three years later and you're like Mm -hmm. oh it changed me in that way uh Mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's clarifying as well on some level it's like uh it's such a um mad rush when you're starting out as a comic or as a writer or as whatever um to sort of make it your job and to sort of secure enough like income and attention that you can really feel like I'm a comedian or like I'm an actor or I'm a writer. Um, at the beginning, it feels like such a, such a long shot to even ever say that as a sentence without, um, without being like, well, but my day job is, you know, and even on that level, I think it's just been a massive, uh, like change in how secure I feel saying that. Um, and that's like, that's really fundamental. Um, but I guess on some other level, it's like, you know, as, as soon as, as soon as you've secured that, you can go, oh my God, I also have other things going on in my life. You know, it doesn't have to be, it can swallow all of your time at the beginning. And I think this show has, has done that a little bit of got it's sort of taking up all of my headspace and all of my time in a really nice way. Um, and now that it's been like a success, uh, at least on a, on a low level. Um, it's nice to be able to go like, I, I did that and now I can be sort of a, maybe a more well-rounded person who, uh, can do this show and also maybe see my friends, you know? Um, so I, I think it's nice on that level as well. And to, to, uh, approach everything with, with a slightly less, uh, hysterical, desperate attitude, you know? <laughs>
1: Leo, it's such a joy to talk to you. Congratulations on the thank massive you so much. success. Thank you
2: for coming on. No, thank you for having me. It's been so nice. Thank it you. Thank so you. Nice.
1: The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore. This episode was produced by Anna
0: Strand.